Max Wilkins. Max Wilkins tells about a day he stopped at a traffic light, and yet when the light turned green, he couldn't move because an elderly lady with a walker had begun to move across the intersection. And as she walked, she walked very slowly, just inching her way to the other side of the street. I mean, it was the best she could do, and Max understood that. So for the longest time, he couldn't move. He had to sit there and wait. Well, while he was waiting, another driver pulled up behind him. The other driver could see the green light, but he couldn't see the lady. So he didn't understand why Max wasn't moving. So after a while, the other driver, he begins honking his horn, and Max doesn't respond. Then he begins to roll down his window and starts yelling at Max, and Max still doesn't move. And by this point, the other driver's getting irate, and he's thinking to himself, this guy's in my way, and he doesn't seem to care. He's keeping me from where I need to go. Well, I'll fix that. And so the guy begins to fiddle with his seatbelt and think, you know, I just need to get out and knock some sense into this guy. But while he's fiddling with his seatbelt, he didn't notice that Max got out of his car. Max came back to talk to this angry driver. He stood there and he held out his keys and said, if you want to run over, go ahead. And suddenly the hothead who'd been blaring his horn and cussing at Max because he only saw the green light, suddenly he saw the elderly lady too. And he quickly changed his tune. Now he understood why Max wasn't moving. Max could see something that he couldn't. And that picture helps me. It helps me to understand something very important about God. He is sovereign. I'm not. I mean, there have been so many occasions in my life when I saw a green light, I saw an open door, I saw a wonderful opportunity to experience something great, and yet it felt like God kept getting in the way. He kept blocking my path. And in my anger, I get upset and say, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you not helping? Why are you not letting me move forward? And in that moment when I was so upset, I forgot a simple truth. He sees things I don't. He knows details about that situation that I'm, I'm totally unaware of. He, he knows the outcome. He can already see the outcome later on down the road, and he realizes that what looks good to me right now may later on turn out to be something really, really bad. That's why I think one of the most important parts of this prayer that we're going to study today, what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer, to me, one of the most important parts of this entire prayer is the part that comes at the very end, when Jesus teaches us to say, lead us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, Jesus knows we live in a dangerous world. There, there's a million different ways that we can get hurt, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, what if the cancer comes back? Or what if my kids get into drugs? Or what if my parents get a divorce? Or what if my friend suddenly turns away from Christ? You know, something I didn't expect. I never saw it come in my way, and boom, it happens. And now I've got to deal with it, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this challenge? I can't. Not by myself. I need God's help. That's why Jesus says every morning before you head out the door, not knowing what lies ahead of you on that particular day, you've got to pray this simple two-word prayer. Lead us. God, you see things that I don't. You know what's coming my way, and only you know how to prepare me for that. So on this particular day, God, I want you to take the lead in my life. And notice, Jesus doesn't want us just to pray this prayer for ourselves every single day. He wants us to pray this prayer for our family and our friends, too, because the words here are not lead me, it's lead us. So that first day when you take your child to college and you're dropping your daughter off at the university and scenes from the movie Animal House are dancing around in your head and you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing? What kind of a world am I sending my child into? You pray this prayer. God, my girl's about to see things and, and hear things that she's never been exposed to before. I'm worried about this. God, please take the lead in her life. 
God, don't let her be led astray. Keep her away from those people and those influences that would just destroy her spirit. God, guide her to a church, a healthy church. God, provide her with some friends, with some good Christian friends. God, don't let her become confused when there in the classroom intellectual attacks are made upon her faith. No, God, in every one of those challenging moments, encourage her to dig deep into your word and to see the answers that you have for her. Or maybe your son's getting married and you're happy for him. I mean, he and his fiance, they're madly in love and they both have a strong faith in the Lord. And yet you know that even in the best of situations, there's going to be challenges along the way. It's like Andrew Peterson sings in one of his songs. He, he talks about how even in the best of marriages, you're still going to be dancing through a minefield. Why is that? Because there's an evil one at work in our world. and He's going to do everything he can to rip that relationship apart. So you pray for them, Lord, when the troubles come, and I know they will, don't let the enemy drive a wedge between the two of them. God, when they hit those hard times and they're at their wits end because they're not sure what to do, in that moment, don't let them panic. Don't let them do something foolish and rash that later on they're going to regret. No, God, when those hard times hit, give them some good counsel. Give them some good friends to walk beside them. God, please take the lead in their lives because right now they have no clue what's coming down the road. But you do. You see, when Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, he's not telling us to, to pray, okay, God, just take all the temptation away. Make sure nothing bad ever happens in my life again, because that's just not possible. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's sinful, and Jesus understands that. The, ten, the, the, the trials, the temptations, the troubles are sure to come. So what Jesus is asking us to pray for is when they do come, God, don't let me succumb to that temptation. Don't let me give in to that moment. Don't let me be overwhelmed and defeated by that trouble. God, when the evil one attacks, and he will, when he attacks, God, in that very moment, deliver me, rescue me, so that he doesn't win the battle. Now, to me, the great thing about this prayer, this simple two-word prayer, lead us, is when you really begin to understand what you're saying, what you're asking God to do when you pray that. You see, the word that Jesus uses here is, you know, to lead we're asking God to take the lead. The word that he uses there is not your typical word. It's not the word that was commonly used back in that day and time to talk about giving direction and providing leadership. No, the word that Jesus uses is a word that literally means to bring, to carry. So it has this idea of personal involvement. Get personally involved in this, God. Personal assistance. In other words, the picture is not the picture of a general sitting safely on the top of some distant hill far, far away from the battle. And as he sits there on top of the hill, he points to his troops. It's over there. That's where the battle is. Go and fight. I'm just going to sit back and watch. Good luck, guys. Do the best you can. I'll watch. You fight. That's not the picture here. When we pray, lead us. Here's what we're asking. It's a picture of a shepherd walking alongside his flock. So when they go through that dark valley, they go through it together. Whatever the sheep feel and experience is exactly what the shepherd's going to feel and experience. In other words, when we pray, lead us, we're not just asking God to show us the right way to go. We're asking for something more, so much more. We're praying, God, be at my side and carry me through. God, when I go through these hard times, walk with me and make sure I get safely to the other side. Two words, lead us. Two words that make all the difference in the world, but only if we pray them in the right way. Pray them from the heart. We're sincere in what we say. And pray from a heart that's not focused on our problems, but focused on God. 
Yes, we talk about the problems. Yes, we describe, Lord, here's what I'm dealing with right now, and here's how it's affecting me. I mean, we just lay it all out before God. But then we put our focus upon him, upon the one who's going to help us deal with that problem. There's a man back in the Old Testament who's a great illustration of this. His name is Asaph. You can read about him in 1 Chronicles. Uh, you read about him in the book of Psalms. Great guy. He's on the staff of the temple, which means he, he led worship. He directed the choirs. He wrote songs for the people to sing. Well, anyway, there's a point in Asaph's life, there's a point in his life when he's going through a really bad time. I mean, things are just not going well at all, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. So in the midst of his experience, he writes a song about what he's dealing with. And the lyrics are written down for us in Psalm 73. And you read through that psalm, and you see all the terrible things that are happening. You realize not one bit of it is his fault. I mean, the things going on in his life are just totally unfair, and it's unbearable to deal with. So you get down to the very middle part of that psalm, Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17. And Asaph says, you know, when I tried to understand all this, you know, here I am. I'm stuck at this light. Light's green, but I can't move because all this other stuff keeps getting in the way. And the thing that bugs me the most, it seems like God's not doing anything about it. And Asa says, when I, when I stepped back and tried to understand, tried to process all this and what's really going on here, he said, it was oppressive to me, meaning it would just weigh me down. The more I thought about all the bad things that are happening, how I didn't deserve a bit of this. And, and God, where are you? Why are you not doing something about this? The more mad I'd get, the more upset I'd get. And then other days, just, I just get down and discouraged. And Asa said, I kept feeling that way until. And then you read the words of verse 17 until I entered into the sanctuary of God. Meaning, I actually entered into the presence of the Lord. Now instead of letting his circumstances speak to him, now he really begins to let God talk to him. And Asa says, like a light bulb came on. I mean, all of a sudden I begin to realize he sees things that I don't. There's more to this story than what I realize. He hasn't been ignoring me. He's been working this whole time. They're just more involved in this situation than what I'm aware of. I'm just one little piece in a very big puzzle that God is now putting together. And one day, when he finally gets all the pieces put together in just the right way, I'm going to see all the good things that he's been doing for me and all the good things that he's been doing for everybody else. Now, to me, the really fascinating thing about Psalm 73 is this. You remember the turning point for Asaph is verse 17, until I entered into the sanctuary of God. Well, that's ironic. Because Asaph lived and worked in the temple 24-7. Every day he's in the house of God. Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, he's there. But here's the problem. Every day he's busy working for the Lord, but most days he wasn't working with the Lord. Do you get the difference? Every day he's busy singing and praying and practicing, getting himself ready to lead another worship service. Every day he's thinking about God and talking about God and teaching other people about God. But most days he wasn't actually talking to the Lord actually interacting with him, connecting with God, and allowing God to connect with him. And Asaph realizes that. He gets down to the middle of Psalm 73, and he said it was one of those breakthrough moments. Suddenly, like, I, I suddenly woke up and realized, hey, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I've been praying the wrong way. My prayers were problem-centered. I'm just thinking about me and all the bad things that are happening, and why is this happening? Why am I getting this bum rap? And all of a sudden, he said, I shifted my focus. And I really just began to concentrate upon and think about the God who's going to help me with that problem. And he said, when I made that shift, my whole attitude changed. Suddenly there was a peace in my life like I had never known before. That's why Matthew chapter 6, before, 
before Jesus gives us this prayer to pray, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. You know, here's an outline. Jesus says, here's a pattern you can use, a model to follow to kind of guide your thinking when you're talking to the Lord. You're not sure what to say. Well, just use this as a pattern and follow this. Let that guide your thoughts. But before he does that, before he gives us that prayer to pray, he first of all teaches us how to pray that prayer, which means the instructions that he provides here are really, really important. I want to take a look at just a couple of them. Verses 5 and 6, Matthew chapter 6. Verse 5, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, when you pray... Here's the wrong model. Do not be like the hypocrites. These people are just putting on a show. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and indoor atmosphere, and they love to pray out there in the street corners and outdoor atmosphere. But get this, it's not where they're praying. That's not what is wrong here. What's wrong with their prayers is why they're praying. They're praying to be seen by others. Now get this, Jesus isn't against public prayer. He prayed in public all the time, and he prayed in front of other people all the time, and he encourages us to do the same thing. No, what's wrong here is they're praying not to be seen by God. They're praying to be seen by others. They're praying so they can impress other people. Hey, look at how spiritual I am. Look at how religious I am. They're not praying so that God can make an impression upon them. So Jesus says to keep that from happening, to remove those kind of distractions so you're not even thinking about other people and worried about what they're thinking about you. Let's just get that out of the way. In verse 6, he gives us peace of wisdom. He says, here's one of the ways. There's a lot of different ways to do this, but here's one of those ways where you can just really focus upon the Lord. So he says, verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. You're not talking to anybody else. You're just talking to Him. Pray to your Father who's unseen, and then your Father who sees everything. You know, Visible, invisible, he sees what is done in secret, he rewards you. Now, the room that Jesus is talking about here, which everybody in the first century world would have understood, was the storage closet, a place where they put the tools and the seed and the farming supplies. But it was the one place in those tiny homes in ancient Israel, the one place where you could actually close the door and have some privacy. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here, the privacy. In other words, your closet, the place where you go to meet with God, it may not actually be a closet. It might be a place out in the woods where you go for a walk so you can just get away from everybody else. Or it might be in the car every evening when you're coming home from work. It's the one moment in the course of the day when you're actually all alone and you can be alone with your thoughts and now you can begin to share those thoughts with the Lord. Or maybe it's down on the treadmill, down there in the basement while everybody else is upstairs and finally you've got a moment to yourself where you don't have to worry about the prayer being fancy and well-crafted. You don't have to worry about there being long pauses, these long moments of silence. You don't have to feel awkward about that at all. You don't have to worry about leaving one topic unfinished. Hey, Lord, before I finish that thought, something else just popped in my mind. Do you mind if we talk about this for a bit? And you don't have to feel guilty about that at all. Why? Because nobody else is there. You've got that place where you can just let your hair down, just be yourself, just relax in the presence of God. No games, no cover-up. You're just honest with the Lord. And you let him honestly see what's on your heart. In other words, Jesus says you don't have to go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. You don't have to travel all the way to the Vatican in Rome in order to make a meaningful connection with God. No, you can just stand out in your own backyard and pray a prayer there that's going to be just as effective there as it would be anywhere else. Why? Because you have found a place where you become real with God. Do you have that spot, that private spot, where you can just let God be God for you? You're not worried about what anybody else is doing. You've got that place where you're just thinking about him. Here's how Dale Galloway did it. He's a preacher. And one day his wife asked him for a divorce. 
You talk about getting blindsided. He said, I didn't see that coming at all. It was just a complete surprise. What? He said, the day she left, after she left, said the days that followed were the, they were just the worst days of my life. It was worse than death. But he said in those dark moments, what kept him going were those times of prayer. He said, I, I had this private place where I didn't have to worry about being interrupted. No phones, no people, nothing. A place where he had this sense of freedom. If I need to cry, I can cry. If I need to groan, I groan. If I need to shout, I shout. Whatever I need to do to adequately communicate what's on my heart that day, I got the freedom to do it. I can just be me in front of the Lord. And Dale said most days what he would do when he came to that place. Hey, here's our spot, God. Just you and me. He said, most days when he come to that place, he said, I just cut my hands together. And he said, I'd hold them up. And then ver verbally, because he'd always talk out loud in his private moments, he'd talk out loud in his prayers. He said, I just begin to put in my hands, God, here's everything I'm, I'm worrying about right now. Here's all the stuff that I don't, I don't have any answers for. Honestly, God, I, I don't know how to deal with this. But you do. So God, here's everything I'm worrying about. Here's all the stuff I can't change. Here's all the stuff that's so unacceptable to me. God, here's everything that I'm wrestling with right now, and I can't get anywhere with it, but I know you can do something about it. God, please take the lead. And then Dale said, you know, once he's spelled it all out and laid it all out before the Lord, then he would just drop his hands to his side. You know, just a physical, visible way of showing God, I believe you've been listening. I believe you heard that prayer. I believe you've got to do something about it. Maybe it won't be the answer that I'm looking for, but I know you will answer. So it was just a, a visible symbol of trust. God, it's yours now. I want you to carry this. And Dale said when he put his hands to his side, suddenly the most wonderful feeling of serenity began to spread over his entire being. Suddenly he had a peace in the midst of the storm. Now get that, the storm's still there, the trouble, the, the storm is still raging. Yet now he knew God's going to walk with me through that storm. Two words, and they make all the difference in the world, especially when you stop to think about who you're talking to. God, don't let me and my family succumb to that worry. God, don't let me and my friends give in to that temptation. God, don't let me and this church be overwhelmed by this evil. God, lead us. And then you know, because of the kind of God he is, that he's not just going to show you the right way to go. No, when he answers that prayer, he's going to be right here at your side, and he will carry you through that trial. He will bring you to where he wants you to be. I want us to pray this morning, and, and I don't want this to be awkward for anybody at all. I, I want this moment to be real. I want each one of us to just really Connect with our Father. So I want to ask a favor. Whether you participate in this prayer or not, that's up to you. But could everybody do me this favor? Just close your eyes right now. Just close your eyes. Because I don't want anybody in this room to be worried or concerned about what somebody else sees. Somebody else watching. Nobody's watching. Everybody, eyes closed. And then, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. If, that, if it feels too funny or awkward, that's okay. Don't do it. But... Maybe to help with this time of prayer, just cup your hands together and set them on your lap. Because here's what I want us to do. Just silently from our hearts. This prayer is for God and God alone, not for anybody else's ears. It's just for Him. But what I want us to begin to do right now is from our heart, just mentally, begin to put in those hands. God, 
here's what I'm wrestling with right now. Here's what I worry about. Here's what keeps me awake at night. God, here's the shame that I carry. I've been hiding this secret for years, and I don't want to carry that burden anymore. God, here's a doubt that I just can't shake. Or God, here's a fear, and I can't get over it. It still paralyzes me, and it keeps me from living the life that you want me to live. Maybe it's an illness that still hasn't been healed. Maybe it's the job, the job you're working right now, and you just can't stomach it anymore. Maybe it's the marriage. No matter how many counselors you've been to, it's still not fixed. Maybe it's a conflict with one of your children, and it's still not resolved. Just mentally, just put in your hands right now. God, I want you to see what I'm struggling with right now. God, here's where I need you to take the lead. So just for a few moments of of silence from your heart, just tell God, God, here's what troubles me right now. Here's where I need you to help. Let's keep our eyes closed, and before we hand these troubles over to the Lord, let's, let's first of all just take a moment to think about who we're talking to. Let's just take a moment to appreciate who God is and what He's really like. Jesus says He's our Father, and we're His children, and He loves to talk to us. Jesus says He's a good Father, and He wants to do good things for His children. He smiles when we come to him and say, Father, I need your help. So let's just take a moment to express our praise for the Lord. Just thank him for being so kind and compassionate, so gracious, so understanding. Like Hebrews chapter 4 says, he's eager to help us in our time of need. So silently from your heart, just take a moment to express your love for God. Just say thank you, Lord, for listening to me right now. Now, keeping our eyes closed, let's, let's finish the prayer. Let's hand our troubles to the Lord. So take your hands and just simply turn them over, palm down on your lap, and say, God, this is yours. It's yours now. I'm trusting you. God, I'm trusting you to help. I'm trusting you to take the lead. God, I'm trusting you are going to do what is best. God, I give this to you. God, you have heard our prayers today, and we are grateful. It is such a comfort to know that you care for us. So God, lead us. Bring us to where you want us to be. And God, show us your glory. Let us see your glory in the way you answer every one of these prayers. And we pray in Jesus' name.